Hi, I'm Melanie Walker and this is Grounded. If gardening is your passion, this is the place to be to find out about what's happening in the gardening world. And it's another lovely day in Johannesburg. I can see Michael's in the pink, his favorite color. Always. Michael Rickoff in studio, live and large. Pink <laughs> it's, it's unusual to have me here that often. <laughs> I Even know. once as often for me these days. But it's always nice to be back. And, you know, I always make a special effort to get here. I'd love to talk to you, Mel, as you know. Mm. And always the guests. But he, he spends so much time like teaching other people about how to garden and design when it comes to gardening as well at Lifestyle College, obviously, that it is a pleasure to have you. Thank you. Always a pleasure <laughs> to be here and always a pleasure to You're supposed to, to say it's wonderful being had. It's wonderful being had, Mel. Does <laughs> <laughs> that cheer you up? Yeah. yeah pink cheeks and, you know, it's been rather fresh out there. The mornings are great. Mm. You know, people complain about the cold mornings and I think, wow, you know, it just like jeez me up, you know, getting up in the morning and everything feels so crisp and I don't know. A lot of people it will wane, like this feeling that you have soon, Michael. I suppose I'll be complaining like everyone else closer to the end of July. but um, When it's so dry. I feel good. Yeah, we just wait for the rains. That's the one thing I don't like about here. It gets very dusty. Yeah. But one thing that or we can pl- look forward more to, stuff. when it's cold, we appreciate warmth. So we also appreciate when spring arrives, when the rains arrive. And one of my favorite things, of course, is in spring is when all the beautiful flowers start popping their heads out after all the gray and brown and dusty greens. That renaissance. It's just beautiful, yeah. And, of yeah. course, we're talking about bulbs. Yep. And if we're going to talk about bulbs, we have to talk about... Charles. Charles. Charles Van Hoon, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. Very Excellent. well. I'm, I'm appreciating the start of winter, I must say. Yes. You've been traveling off all over the world again. I have, and I'm happy to be home. There's no place like South Africa. Oh, no, that is the way to say it. I think that's why we're all still here, because we love it so much. Exactly. China. What bulbs do they have in China? So they have a lot of their own kind of bulbs, of course, but they've also started importing a lot in the last few years. Mm-hmm. And, of course, as most countries or people do, they started with importing from Holland, but now they've taken a real liking to South African bulbs. So that's where we come in, and I've been traveling around, visiting some of the big wholesalers over there, and they're all very hungry for South African bulbs. Oh, for indigenous ones? Yes, exactly. Among among others, South African produced, but especially indigenous. Mm. Yeah. Okay, because I mean, of course, you don't do just the ones that people are used to, like daffodils and tulips and all of those freesias and stuff like that. Well, freesias are South African, aren't they? Yes, they are. Western yes. Cape. I always yes. think of them as being from overseas, don't you, Michael? The no. Dutch have kind of took them a couple hundred years ago, carried on developing them and hybridizing them and started selling them back here, which it's. I know, but they've been doing odd. the same thing with things like agapanthus yeah. and all of yeah. our, our local oh, and tulips. I mean, yeah. tulips are not Dutch plants, you know. No. Himalayas. That's really the Himalayan plants, yeah. yeah. They're also money. Crazy stuff. Mm. Yeah, but, but I'm, I'm proud to hear you say that. By the same token, I'm thinking about China and how big it is and how many yeah. different biomes you have. Yes, yes, yes you know, exactly. So, so that would be a challenge. I mean, you've almost got chalk and cheese areas there. Yes, and I think, obviously, when they're doing their marketing and offering bulbs, they're not just offering it across all of China. They look at specific areas. You know, can it be sold in the south? Can it be grown in the west? Can it tolerate the winters of the north? So they're not just offering things throughout the entire country. That's definitely a big topic. But of course now we're talking about all kinds of bulbs, and I know that most people have said, oh, it's too late to plant any winter bulbs out almost, right now. Almost, almost. yeah. If but you have actually, some, you can still pop them in the ground. Yeah, because it's gotten cold quite late. Yes. Compared and to previous years. It has, actually. To give you an idea, I haven't planted all of my winter bulbs yet, 
And there are obviously some that it is too late for. Lacanalia is a good example. Mm. It likes to go in the ground early. And there's a lot of others, though, that can still be planted now. Hyacinths, tulips, daffodils, even things like freesias, and especially ranunculus will still perform very well if planted now. Mm. I know that everybody comes into the shop and keeps on going, I need daffodils, where are the tulips? And I'm like sitting there and going, tulips, yes, right, okay, good luck with that one. And I know that you, there is a bit of a problem with tulips because they do like really cold weather. Yes, and we've always known that South Africa has very suitable winters for humans, quite mm. short, relatively mild Whereas tulips, of course, prefer really long, quite intense winters. Something like you get in the Himalayas or Holland, of course. So we've always pushed the boundaries with growing tulips in this country. But our winters are milder than they were before. And we're seeing it on our tulip farm as well. That the winters are not only milder, but also the winters are shorter than we used to have. Yeah, because you used to have that big tulip festival, didn't you, yeah, at one stage? Yeah, just Over before the... Dahlstrom up in the yes. Belfast area. Mm. And it was always something that we would do every few years, whenever we had enough tulips in one place to make it spectacular. We haven't had that in a long while now. I mean, there are some other issues in that area too, like the water quality is not as good with the coal mining that's happening up there. Eesh. Well, I guess we get to a point where you have to say, well, I can't grow it here. And we start mm. having to accept things. I mean, it's not only for tulips, I guess it's for all sorts of plants. I know that in show gardens last year we used baobabs in Joburg. That's incredible. <laughs> and there are areas in Joburg where the baobab is not miserable. Yeah, less frost than before. Exactly. And people have been growing cookerworms here, yeah. um, mm. you know, which Richter's felt. Yeah. There are some successfully growing and flowering in Joburg in certain areas. So you're right. You've got to get to a point where you say, well, either I can or I can't. And if mm. I can't, I must just simply accept it. There's a problem with a baobab, though. I mean, that can become as big as your house. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so you've got to be careful where you plant it. Yeah, you can't Not like plant with bulbs. It your, you, you can't plant, plant them anywhere. Your townhouse garden. No. no, no, no. But I mean, people don't <laughs> understand that. They're, oh, I can have a baobab. I'm going to plant seven baobabs close together. Yeah, you can have bonsai. So there's a lot of people bonsai. who have bonsai. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the nice thing about bulbs. Charles and I have been friends for a long time. So, of course, you know that I just take whatever bulbs I've got, throw them in the air. Wherever they land is where they get planted. And I just love that scattergun approach to it. And then you oh, get surprised yeah. when things keep popping out all the time. Every time I do gardening talks, I'm also recommending your technique. The chaos theory. The chaos theory. <laughs> as well as how you how know when it's planting it. time yeah. as well. Put your butt on the ground. Yes. If you can't keep your bum there, then it's cold enough to plant. Yeah, Exactly. I enjoy that. And what I do enjoy, Charles, is all those years ago, since I met you, when you said to me, you don't have to lift your bulbs every year. Correct. And I Absolutely. stopped doing it. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it's just fantastic for me because every yes. single year I get all these surprises and yes. oh, I forgot yeah. you were in that yes. corner. So yes. it's lovely. And they normally start up a bit earlier. So it is normally a nice, very pleasant yeah, my, surprise at the start of the season. This is already flowering. But I get asked that question a lot when it comes to bulbs. Everybody says, do we need to lift our bulbs? And I'm like, well, I never have. I cite you as saying, I've been told you don't need to lift them. Is there anything that you should perhaps think about lifting, though, and putting into storage over summer? It depends very much on your conditions where you are. So I spoke to somebody the other day at a, at a garden club, and she said she's moving to Bethlehem and taking her bulbs with her. So if you're getting more intense frosts mm. in the wintertime where you live, then that's a reason. Or if your soil is too clay and the drainage is not good, that can be a reason. But generally, all the bulbs that we grow in this country, you can leave in off-season. And there are some that absolutely prefer it. Lilies are a very good example. Mm. Which lilies are we talking about? The liliums. So that's what we know as the St. Joseph's or the Asiatic lilies, mm. the Orientals included. So not the crinums and things like that? No, not the sort of common name. Um, things like crinums obviously prefer to be in the ground year-round, but you mm. can lift them and keep them out the ground as well. And they obviously have a harder structure. The thing about liliums is they don't have a tunic, they don't have a skin around them, and they dry out quicker. 
So it's better to just leave them. Put leave them in the ground. Absolutely. You know, once they've stopped flowering, I don't know where they are, so I wouldn't be able to lift them. <laughs> well, yeah, this is my problem. Is I'm what is known as a collector. I'm not, yeah, at too. home. I'm not a designer. At home, I just collect as many different plants as I can. So I'm like you, Mel. I don't know where my plants are. I think it increases the surprise mm. factor because every like, oh, I didn't know you were there, and I didn't know you were there, and where did you come from? And suddenly, <laughs> the muscari and the lacoyum start coming out, and they're like, oh, hello! It's so and nice especially to when see. they're multiplying themselves and things like the spring starflower, you just find there's more coming back every yes. season. Yeah. So, what newbies have you got on the block at the moment? Hmm. We're constantly trying to introduce new things, and we are. I think something that's Exciting and unusual, perhaps, is the asparagus. Um, asparagus? Yes. So asparagus for eating. Yeah, no, I gathered that. <laughs> but asparagus is a bulb? Well, in the loose sense of things. So we talk about true bulbs, and that's things like tulips, um, hyacinths, lilliums included. Exactly. Mm. And then we bring in other things like corms, which are freesias, gladioli, watsonias are good examples. And you treat them in the same way, and they respond in the same way. They mm. also have those dormancy periods when it's not raining in those seasons. And then asparagus falls into crowns. So they make swollen rootstocks and they can get pretty big as well. And they do go dormant as well during the wintertime. Like rhubarb. Rhubarb is a good example also. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Never thought of them as being under the kind of bigger ambit we, of bulbs. We like to make it as broad as possible. Mm. And, but asparagus certainly are treated in the same way as bulbs as well. And you can plant them anytime from now over the next few months. And obviously, as they um, sprout in September, you can start to harvest the spears and put them on your dinner plate in the evenings. And the best way to have asparagus, of course, is straight from cutting out the ground straight onto your plate, whether you're putting them in a salad or frying them. You want them to be as fresh as possible and keep as much of the nutrients as possible. Mm. One important thing about them, the beauty about buying them as crowns is that they make a lot of spears in the first season already, instead of having to grow them from seed and waiting two or three years and you can harvest those spears for the first few weeks, but obviously also allow some of those spears to develop into the foliage, into the bush later, that the uh, the plant can still have strength through the summertime and enough sunlight intake, let's say. So it sounds like one of those things that you could do an experiment with, like with celery. This is something I can't help. Every time I buy celery, if I have, because I haven't grown it in my garden recently, what I do is the moment that you've eaten all the stalks, you then put the bottom part into water and the thing will, it will regrow grow. from the middle. Absolutely. It was amazing when I saw that happening for the first time. I'm like, you are joking. Seriously? And it does. It happens. Have you done it? It does. Michael? No, I've, I did it the other day with a pineapple and it worked. So pineapple's growing. I'll just cut the top off and off you go. Yes. So, I mean, that's the miracle of plants and that's why it's so interesting. But the one thing that just struck me about the asparagus you're talking about is I grew asparagus from seed. And when you say you can harvest in the first season, wow, can you? I planted my seed. I think I'm in my fourth season and they're still very flimsy and I'm never going to be able to eat these things. I mean, they get stuck in my teeth. They're a little more demanding from seed. And of course, yeah. asparagus need a huge amount of fertilizer and preferably old manure, a lot of nutrients. And you do kind of cut some corners by buying the crowns. And this is the way it's always been done in Europe. Gardeners normally go out and buy crowns because they haven't got the patience or or don't want to go down that long road of growing from seed. Let's talk about the asparagus. It excites me personally. I mean, what is the idea for asparagus? You know, is it a sun thing? Is it a sort of a little semi-shade thing? And you were already talking about nutrients. and Yeah, they're quite versatile and they do appreciate quite a lot of sunlight, um, which really helps to give them that energy and that they have enough spears in the following season. Because what we're trying to do is to get strong crowns this season in our gardens that they produce nice spears in the beginning of spring in the following season. So a fair amount of sunlight. Having said that, I grow most of mine on the southern side of the house 
They only get a couple of hours of direct sunlight in the day, but they're doing very well. And the fertilizing is very important. A lot of compost and particularly a good deep layer of malt, compost malt in the wintertime just to protect them from any possible frosts, but also just to feed back to the soil and keep good moisture retention through the dormant period as well. Oh, that's very interesting. So the average person like me, for instance, I'm the average person as far as that's concerned, would think about an asparagus as a fern. Yes, a fern exactly. Type plant. So, <laughs> I mean, that's kind of, okay, treat it like a fern. Yes, and, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Is that good advice? It is good advice. Obviously, yeah. the, the only difference you're making is you're just harvesting from it at the start of its growth period. But beyond that, it looks like a beautiful fern, very decorative in your garden, and, and you're treating it like a fern, absolutely. If you break off the spears, will it grow back again? That particular spear that you break off, it forms a new growing point from elsewhere on the crown. Oh, okay. So you, so you get going. more spears right. coming from elsewhere on the crown. And that's why it's nice to have as big crowns as possible. Goodness me. Okay. I'm learning things I didn't know about before. All things that grow in the ground and that can be left there. Bulbs, corms, tubers, spears, crowns. I feel like I should be wearing my tiara today. Talking about crowns. Sorry, that was just really reaching. I know, Michael, don't look at me like that. No. Nope. I wasn't looking at you in any tone of voice whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) I I get excited, Charles, when you start talking about the edibles more because I think that's something that people are edging towards. And we've had a lot of conversations about guerrilla gardening and pavement and slow foods and all the the things that are coming out into the fore. And, And I think people are getting more responsible that way and getting more excited. You spoke about potatoes earlier on. Absolutely. that's. I mean, the tastiest potatoes you can have is to grow them at home. And it's incredibly easy as well. Yeah, because you came up with those buckets as well Yes, a couple of years ago. Yes, and, and they're actually doing very well. They're very popular. So it's a two-part bucket where you can lift the inner bucket out from the outer bucket and harvest baby potatoes uh, without actually disturbing the entire plant. Mm. So you can just harvest as it's growing, actually. Because it's always been one of those things that you have to have space or you have to have something that you can grow up with. And I mean, you don't want to be digging your entire garden bed up if you're growing potatoes in it. So it's always had to be like in a bag or in something that you can access from the bottom. Yes. And I think more and more we're all being forced into container gardening to some extent. And I'm lucky to have quite a big garden, but I still do love container gardening. And I'm not only growing annuals and decoratives in my containers i'm also trying to put in herbs and other things so this is a nice way to be able to have potatoes on your patio or even on your windowsill if you're in an apartment Mm. and what kind of potatoes do you have so we have four different kinds we've just introduced the sort of famous standard bp1 Mm. um, and we also have the baked potato one Yes, exactly. Okay. And it makes nice big potatoes. <laughs> yeah. And we also have the Hertha and the Nandi. Mm. And there's one that I'm forgetting. I'm just checking. The Fianna. That's also a new one, which I believe is better in the chip making. Okay. And what about those little red fur potatoes and things like that? I mean, you know, would you be having those coming up in the future? We would love to. Yeah. Um, so for a lot of the crops that we offer on the shelves and that we um, try and encourage and promote, we're actually buying from other growers. And in this case, we're buying from very good quality seed potato producers Mm. because it's more their specialty. It's a different kind of bulb for us, really. And so we're also relying on their variety selection as well. Every season we test out what it is we'd like to introduce in the following seasons. So the idea is to get the range as wide as possible. So I'd like to see those really unusual, those reds and those purples and the really small kinds of potatoes coming through in, in future. Okay, because have you seen the little red fur potatoes? I tried to grow them from the ones I bought in the supermarket. But if they're organic ones, then you should be able to. You should be able to. Yes. And one of the ones that everybody comes in to ask about is turmeric. Yes. What's happening with turmeric? Well, 
Turmeric and ginger are something that we have our eye on as well. And in the same way, asparagus was one where we tried to find other growers to help us with it. Mm. That there are existing asparagus growers and they already knew how to grow it. And a few years ago, we tried to partner with somebody else. But unfortunately, most of the asparagus growers in this country have reduced. And nowadays, most asparagus worldwide production comes from Peru. In the case of ginger and turmeric, we're trying to source growers who can supply it to us. And if we can't find that at the end of the day, we will also start to grow that, that gardeners in this country can grow it for themselves at home. Personally, I grow both of them at home, and, and the results are incredible. The flavor is amazing, mm. especially the ginger, I would say, are just easy plants to grow at home. Yeah, because, I mean, ginger on the whole isn't one of the ones that's on the invasives. You're not allowed to actually grow ginger plants. That was one of the ones that fascinated me when I was over in Southeast Asia. And they have an entire section of the Singapore Botanical Gardens, which is just dedicated to various gingers. And mm. um, I know that somewhere along the line, I know that you're not supposed to grow particular gingers here. Particular in South kinds, yeah. Mm. yeah. There are some that are okay. And then obviously, um, there, there are some that are also acceptable as well. But I mean, turmeric, because I know that you guys haven't got it out yet. We want to grow turmeric for, for eating. And we want to do the same thing with ginger. And I'm like, well... Go to any really good whole food, <laughs> organic veggie shop. Organic, exactly. And go and buy it from there and just break it up and put and it in the ground. Put it in the ground, yeah. exactly. Which it I is did, easy. and I have it growing in my greenhouse, and it's very happy. Yep. Yeah. I must tell you. I'm not a grower, though. Charles, I can't help you. I think I have one <laughs> of each. <laughs> Keep going, Michael. Let's, let's get to a, a few thousand, and then we can talk. But it's fascinating how many people are completely in love with bulbs. I'm not just talking about the edible ones. I mean, I went into garlic production with some friends when they bought a farm just kind of west of Joburg at one stage. And, I mean, we grew so much garlic, it's ridiculous. Yeah. But the bulbs that come out, people can't wait. I mean, they're always mm. like, when are they coming in? When are the daffodils coming in? Where mm. are the leucoium? And what's happening with this, that, and the other? And my favorite, of course, the Iffions. Yes, yeah, the spring starflower is just one of the most spectacular small bulbs. And amazingly, we only introduced it probably about, I would guess, 12 or 14 years ago. But it's become so well known just because it's so rewarding. Mm. Um, it gives you very long flowering time, even though the flowers are very small. And the foliage is on for most of the year, in fact. It's very keen to grow. And for me, it makes the most amazing borders. I've always enjoyed it as borders and also in, in really small pots. And it's very tolerant of a range of conditions. I, I've grown them everywhere from pretty full shade to almost completely sunlight. But the best conditions for Ipion is, the, um, is semi-shade. And then you get the longest flowering time and the most flowers out of it. That's one of the things, uh, where do you plant your different kinds of bulbs? Which ones like what? I mean, I know that you yeah. have you know, the whole gardening 101 on the back of each of your packets. It tells mm -hmm. you where to plant them, how deep to plant them, how to plant them. But is there a rule of thumb? There definitely are rules of thumbs for bulbs. And you know, for specifics, we also have obviously the website where we try and go into as much detail for each kind as possible. But generally, bulbs are actually very easy. Most of them prefer semi-shade. That's the general rule of thumb. Winter bulbs in particular like to be a bit protected from the, the hottest parts of the day. And they all like a really good mulch, and that should be compost. The most important thing about pretty much all of them is just really regular deep watering. Most bulbs put down very deep roots, and they like to receive their water nice and deep. But they also prefer to dry back the bulb parts that top 10 centimeters of the soil for about two or three days every time. But the roots should always be moist. That implies watering about 20 millimeters or 20 minutes every four days. That, that's the right idea. Before eight o'clock in the morning. Yes, 
Absolutely. Well, because that's the only time you're allowed to at the moment. We're still under water restrictions, so we have to get it done before 8 o'clock in the morning. Michael, do you find yourself out in your garden doing a lot water of watering? restrictions are out of life at the moment. I don't think it's going away, as yeah. we know. But yeah. yeah, I do. I find myself doing, but I potter <laughs> more than garden these days, simply because my garden is so full that I still enjoy being able to put something in an empty space that I find. I think that's a lot of fun. And talking about empty spaces and something new, I'm always looking for something exciting and new. And we find that in the Agapanthus a lot. You know, we find all these different strains coming through and mm. the queen mums and the blue velvets and all sorts of things. And talking about China, you were talking about a Chinese mm. ground orchid. Yeah, the Chinese ground orchid, um, Bletula. It's, uh, it's something that we've been at multiplying for a, a good 10 years or so now. And we finally started getting some really good quantities of it through. And in the process of doing that, we also discovered that there's a white variant of it as well. So what we're planning on offering to gardeners is a pink um, the standard pink Chinese ground orchid, as well as the white. They're incredibly easy. They're known as the easiest of all orchids. And I've had mine growing in containers, out in the garden beds, sun, full shade, and they're incredibly tolerant and incredibly capable in the garden. Apparently, they can get down to minus 20 or minus 25. So very tolerant of frost as well. And they put up foliage for about half of the year, depending on where they've been planted. Sometimes of the year, the, the leaves go a bit brown and a bit shabby, and they do want to go dormant. Um, so very standard treatment to many of the bulbs that we do. Technically, it's a pseudo-corm, which means it, it simulates a corm. It, it behaves like a corm, looks like a corm, although technically it's, it's more into the world of orchids. So you're saying, I suppose the name Chinese ground orchid means it's not an epivote? No, it's, it's, it's ground-based, and it does grow in soil. And it's very tolerant of a range of soils, too. So it's an absolutely wonderful candidate for the garden beds. It multiplies itself up, and you can start spreading it around into different parts of your garden as well. So I would want one because it supports the other plants. I can grow it between the other plants. It's Definitely. It's a nice border. It's quite short. It's okay. only about 20 centimeters high. puts up really pretty little flowers, not particularly big flowers, but they're very long-lasting. In semi-shade conditions, it flowers for a couple of months quite nicely. Is it the kind of thing that I would... Sort of want a mass plant or not? I have. Um, in my garden, I've done that. And when it's in flowering time, it looks really pretty. I think probably the idea of it is, is to treat it more like a muscari or an epion and just make rivers of it as a border at the front of the beds. Michael likes rivers. Whenever he does something, it's like milk has spilt out of something out of a big pot. And there's this kind of flow through the garden. Gives, gives a natural a nice look. Thing. Yes. We call it embroidering. We, we embroiders. Like embroider I didn't want to use that. It's like such a girly thing, Michael. Come on. <laughs> well, my pink is my favorite color. Let's face yes, it. Yes, I know. We, and pink, thank goodness you love pink. And you say these are pinks. I mean, is this a plant that the general public, their ears would prick up and say, I know that plant? I've been asking around about it for years, and the garden clubs often mention it. And every now and then, yes, somebody does know about it, and they got a plant from someone. But it seems to be quite hard until now to actually just go out and buy. So I'm not sure where people have got it from in the past. And that's one of those wonderful things about gardeners, of course, our love of spreading not just knowledge but also plants to your neighbours and your friends. And where I've heard of it in the past has been through that network of gardeners. Mm. And it had uh, lovely Jane Griffiths, you know, Jane's delicious garden, sending me pictures saying, what is this? I know it starts with a B and I've forgotten what it is. And I'm like looking at the flower and thinking in passing, it's not bulbanilla, bromeliads. So she's got this bromeliad, which is just shooting out all over the place. So she's potting one up for me. And I do love that. Lovely. But with bulbs, 
don't touch your bulbs once they're in the garden. Just leave them. Yes, but the thing is, of course, if they're getting enough fertilizer and they're happy enough, then they will also bulk up. Mm. And most bulbs in your garden will do that, where they'll multiply. So the bulbs will make bulblets, and then the corms will make cormlets. And so normally after about three or four seasons on average, then you actually can disturb the bulbs in their dormant time once the leaves are looking shabby and, they, and they've gone into dormancy. If you remember where they are. <laughs> if you remember where they are. <laughs> and you which can dig the, them up. Which is a neat trick. You know, a couple of things, Charles, and I know it's old news that we're sharing, but I haven't spoken to you for a while and maybe just to remind ourselves, when do we stop feeding the bulbs, first of all? Yeah. And second of all, how come one year I have this huge bed of daffodils and it's just leaves and not a single yeah. flower. And the trick is to start thinking about next season. When your bulbs are in place for this season, their embryo buds were made in the previous season. So we have to think one season ahead, really. And the fertilizing that you do now, this season, is actually about the flowers that you're generating for next season. The most important time to fertilize bulbs is after flowering, typical rule of thumb, and preferably a bulb food. A little bit lower in nitrogen, but very high in potassium, and that will help you with the flowers for next season. Beginning of the season, you can put down bone meal if you don't have Labradors. It's good for the rooting. Mid-season nitrogen is good for the leaves, for the foliage, but it's really that third part of the season after flowering in the two months before dormancy. That's when you should feed. So there you go, the rule of thumb. And of course, I mean, if you want to go and see what absolute delicious lovelies, and I'm not just talking about the edible ones, of course, they are available. And I mean, apart from going into a garden center, but I'm sure, of course, you can go to Hadeco, is it .co.za? Exactly. And have a look and see what they've got. And then, of course, you can start salivating over what's coming up for summer bulbs as well. Because those are not too far away. Whoa, thank goodness. (laughs) Winter (laughs) must go now. It's time for us to. What, Michael? You like it. It's only just arrived, Melanie. Yes, I know, but you know, I'm not, I'm sure that I, I should be hibernating and, you know, not even sort of trying to put myself out and be grumpy around people with my cold hands and feet. You haven't felt anything like this until I grab you around the neck. Okay. <laughs> Charles, thank you so much once again you, for Mel. coming and joining us. Fantastic Always an absolute pleasure. pleasure. Charles, and, thank you very And uh, we will catch you again next time with more fabulous stuff from the world of gardening. So get out into that garden space where it's nice and warm at the moment. And above all, stay grounded. Bye-bye. For show notes and more information about this episode, go to solidgoldstudios.co.za forward slash grounded.